Executive Director of the Tennessee Education Research Alliance. And I'm Laura Booker, Executive Director of Research at the Tennessee Department of Education. Welcome to the 10th period. This is our seventh episode. Lucky Laura. number seven. Lucky number seven of the t- of the tenth period. Um, and as our listeners know, what we do on this podcast is talk about the latest research in Tennessee, um, whether done by the Department of Education or uh, the Tennessee Education Research Alliance. And then we talk to a couple of practitioners um, about sort of how they might interpret the research and and what we want to know. So we're taking research findings and putting them in context. So today we're going to be talking about educator diversity in Tennessee and specifically about uh, the retention of teachers and leaders of color, um, and uh, and what we're learning about diversity. Um, and so we're excited to have with us today. We have Dr. Jason Grissom, who is Tara's faculty advisor and a leading scholar in this area at Vanderbilt University. And then we're also going to have Franklin Willis, who's a longtime music teacher currently at Andrew Jackson Elementary here in Nashville. And he is a member of the Tennessee Educators of Color Alliance. Um, and then we'll have Laura Delgado at Lipscomb University and a TECA board member along with Franklin. And then finally, we'll have Sylvia Flowers from the Tennessee Department of Education. who uh, She's currently the executive director of educator talent, and she'll help kind of put um, to light some of the practical implications um, from the research. So I'm really excited about this, Laura, because I recently um, had someone ask me, what are the things we're doing at Terra that I'm really excited about? And this is one of those things. Um, We know from a a variety of research, right, that um, actually when students have teachers of color, especially students of color, um, they tend to have better outcomes. Um, And uh, I think it's just a really important topic. I was really excited to see the report that you all released earlier this year, plus um, now actually that the department is actually reporting by uh, school and district, um, the number of teachers of color in a particular school or district. This is just an important thing that we're talking about more and more in Tennessee. And actually having the data available so that people know what the conversation should be about, I think is really important. That's right. Um, So we now on our public data downloads page have um, teacher and administrator uh, race and ethnicity by district. Um, We plan to continue publishing that data. And that data is also made available to schools and districts through our strategic planning tools too, so that people can look look it up for their districts across the state and see what the diversity looks like. And I think having that data also helps people set strategic goals. Um, But I am curious, uh, Erin, you know, when did did you ever have your first teacher of color in your education? Yeah, it's a great question. Actually, we were talking about this earlier today um, in our offices. But so my first teacher of color is actually a teacher we've talked about before on the podcast. His name um, is Vern Williams, and he was my seventh grade math teacher. Fantastic, amazing teacher. He was the one with the Pi Pi 3.14 license plate and a member of the um, committee that wrote the Common Core Standards. Okay. Um, so it wasn't until seventh grade until I had um, a teacher of color, and then I had several teachers of color in high school um, and in college, but um, it was it was that long for me. How about you, Laura? So I actually um, had a teacher of color as my kindergarten teacher, um, Miss Phillips, in Shelby County Schools here, right here in Tennessee. Um, but then I didn't actually have um, another teacher of color until I was in sixth grade. Yeah. Um, but, this, you know, Miss Phillips was my introduction to uh, schooling in Tennessee. So without further ado, let's actually get into talking about the research. excited to welcome back Dr. Jason Grissom, Associate Professor of Public Policy and Education here at Vanderbilt and Terrace Faculty Director. Uh, In his first appearance on the 10th Period Podcast, we talked with Jason about uh, the importance of effective school leadership and 
How Great Principals Drive School Success. Today, he's back to talk with us about the topic of retention of teachers and leaders of color and diversity in general in Tennessee, which we're also going to highlight in an upcoming brief. So, Jason, um, before you joined us, Aaron and I were talking about when we first had a teacher of color um, when we were in school. So we want to ask you the same question. My first teacher of color was Ms. Nancy Henderson, uh, who was my first grade teacher, actually. Um, I grew up in North Carolina, but uh, she was uh, – so my second year of schooling was the first year that I had a teacher of color. All right. So, Jason, when when we get into this, and we were just talking a little bit about this, but why do you think it's important that we're studying uh, patterns of teacher diversity in Tennessee and generally? Well, uh, there's a lot of research, an accumulating body of research being done here in Tennessee and in other places that links teacher diversity to um, outcomes for uh, kids. And a lot of that research has focused on kids of color for sure, um, but linking the presence of a more diverse teacher workforce to higher achievement, um, lower discipline rates, um, lower absenteeism rates. Uh, higher likelihood of gifted placement, which is some work that I've done. Um, there's also work linking uh, the presence of diverse teachers to longer run outcomes. Like there's either one, one study from North Carolina that shows that kids that of color who are exposed to a teacher that looks like them in elementary school actually have higher likelihood of graduating from high school. So um, there's just a really there's an accumulating body of evidence that suggests that there really are impacts for students of color, um, but also likely impacts on on white students as well. And we should care about that just as much. Um, you know, the research there is a little bit thinner, but, you know, I think there's there's evidence that suggests that, you know, these uh, the, the presence of a diverse teacher workforce matters for all kids because we're in a global economy where appreciation of diversity, multiculturalism is really important. Um, and for for young for students, this is uh, one of the first ways that they can get exposed. Yeah, absolutely. We, we also know that our um, black, Hispanic, and Native American students have typically achieved at lower levels in Tennessee compared to our white students. So I think it's especially important to talk about what we can do um, to make sure that all students have the opportunity to achieve and succeed. Um, but Jason, could you go ahead and talk to us a little bit about what you're finding? Um, what, what do you see in the data? Uh, so the first thing is um, one of the one of the well one of the first things I should say is that um, almost all teachers in Tennessee are either black or white. So we're going to say teachers of color, and I'm mostly going to be talking about black teachers because um, we uh, there are obviously teachers who are Hispanic or who are Asian in the state of Tennessee. But as a quantitative researcher, I can tell you that uh, probably uh, we might say sadly the numbers are low enough that um, we actually have to end up excluding those teachers from a lot of analyses because their numbers are so small. So that's that's point number. One that of uh, things that we probably is, should be thinking about and working on. Also, by the way, um, for those of you out there who work in school districts or work at schools and you aren't necessarily reporting teacher ethnicity, it would be really helpful for us if you did and did it accurately and well so that we could get to a place where we can actually know more about teachers of color who are not black. That's right. When you're talking about rare, rare events, it's especially important to have good data. So that's uh, that's a good point. Um so, you know, 37 percent, about, you know, about uh, close to 40 percent of students in Tennessee um, at this point are not white students. And yet only about 15 percent, maybe a little less than 15 percent of the teacher workforce um, are people of color. So um, there's a big gap there. And that gap's only getting bigger because the student uh, body of Tennessee is getting more diverse. And we haven't seen a lot of change in the racial and ethnic diversity of the teacher workforce uh, in the last 10 years or so. Um, so we've been trying to dig in and understand uh, understand um, 
in especially uh, we've been interested in turnover, um, turnover of teachers of color and what are the predictors of teachers of color versus uh, that maybe are different for the predictors of turnover of white teachers. Um, and the first thing to know about that is that turnover rates among teachers of color in Tennessee are a little bit higher than they are for white teachers. So um, in the most recent year, uh, turnover rate for uh, teachers of color, mostly black teachers, um, was about 22 percent compared to only 17 percent for white teachers. What's really important there is how we define what turnover is. When we talk about turnover, in this case, we're talking about um, a teacher is working as a teacher in his or her school in one year, and we look the next year, and they're no, they're no longer a teacher in that school. So that's what we're going to call a turnover. Event. Um, and so, but you can look at different kinds of turnover. And so, you know, the national narrative actually about diversification of the teacher workforce is that we have a retention problem, that um, nationally we are doing a much poorer job of retaining teachers of color, keeping uh, people of color in the profession than we are of white teachers. And so, you know, the national conversation is really focused on, on, this, uh, on these issues of retention and exit. And actually, the story in Tennessee is a little bit different because um, if you look just at exits, meaning people who are leaving the teaching profession altogether, um, black teachers actually stay in the profession at slightly higher rates um, than, than white teachers do. And so then I tell you that they have higher turnover rates, but they have lower exit rates. What does that mean? Well, um, they have much, much higher rates of transfer. Um, black teachers are much more likely to move to other schools um, than, than white teachers are. And so I think that there's a couple of implications of that. One is maybe we should be less concerned about exits uh, in diversifying the workforce in Tennessee. I think it points us more to thinking about recruitment. Um, and I think that's probably um, in Tennessee, at least in Tennessee, relative to some other states, recruitment um, is, is maybe uh, uh, more important as a policy lever than retention, although we care about retention too. Um, but also um, – you. Uh, Understanding turnover is important in its own right because teachers of color are serving disproportionately less advantaged kids, lower achieving kids, kids of color, low income kids. And so we still want to understand what the drivers of turnover are because there's lots of research that also suggests that teachers leaving their schools um, is not great for kids. And so we want to understand that phenomenon. Um, and so, uh, you know, we've we've identified uh, several of, of those drivers, and and one of the big the big findings from this body of work is that the school contexts um, in which black and white teachers in Tennessee work are very different. So, um, and actually, those differences in school contexts explain a good amount of the turnover gap. So, for example. Uh, if you look at free and reduced price lunch percentage um, in a school, so that's a common measure that we use in research to measure the income status of a school. Kids who are free are, who are eligible for free or reduced price lunch are lower income. Um, the for the typical black teacher in uh, in Tennessee, seventy five percent of the kids in his or her school are eligible for free and reduced price lunch. So low are low income students compared to only twenty six percent for the average white student in Tennessee. So and that's just an example. There are lots of these kinds of contextual differences. So the point is that black teachers and white teachers are working in very different kinds of schools. And unfortunately, what we know from lots of other research is. Working conditions uh, tend to be correlated with um, the characteristics of the uh, of the kids that are in a school, and so a really consistent body of research suggests that um, you know schools that have larger numbers of low income kids, for example, have fewer resources. The facilities tend not to be um, as great. The leadership tends to be less um, effective in those schools, etc. And so that because black teachers tend to work in those kinds of schools, uh, that's one of the drivers of of those differential turnover rates. Um, but there are other contextual factors that we can identify as well, and I, I won't go on and on about this topic, but I'll give you a couple um, that I think that are particularly interesting. One of those has to do with the race of the principal that works in those schools. So one of the things that we see really clearly in the data is that 
black principals do a better job retaining black teachers than white principals do in Tennessee. Um, the, the other piece is uh, that the colleagues, um, the racial and ethnic composition of a teacher's colleagues also seem to matter for turnover rates. So um, black teachers who are surrounded by a larger number of black teachers in their schools um, tend to stay in those schools. Do you think that um, also matters for recruitment? If you're a teacher of color and you're looking at, you know, being recruited into a school that doesn't have any other teachers of color? Yeah, I, I think uh, I think that is very likely to matter. Um, you know, one of the things that we see in the data, for example, is that being a racially isolated teacher um, is pretty bad for the likelihood that you stay in that school. Um, and so um, I, I, I would imagine um, that going into a school where you are one or you are the only person who looks like you among the faculty of that school or, or the only one of one or two. To, um, is likely to change your experience in working in that school. And the data sort of bear that out, um, that, that uh, teachers who are racially isolated are not likely to stay. When I was working on getting the data ready to publicize the you know district-level breakdowns of teacher race, racial composition, I had a superintendent you know helping me correct their data and say, no, we actually do have one administrator of color. And I, I certainly want it to show that way because I don't want it to hurt our recruitment efforts. Yep. You know, they, he was very, very mindful of the fact that like they were trying to increase their um, numbers of teachers and administrators of color and w- knowing that um, being perceived as a place that did not have any administrators or teachers of color could impact impact their ability to recruit. Yep. So as talking about what more you might want to learn, where do you think we go in the research from here? What other things are you looking to try and help explain or what do you think are the next steps maybe around recruitment since you, you sort of that's your, your one of your theories is that recruitment is a, a big part of the issue? Yeah, I think we want to learn a lot more about recruitment, about recruitment strategies, about what pipelines um, of teachers of color um, look like around the state. I don't think we have a great handle on that. So that's an area that's upcoming. Um, you know, I think on the retention side, uh, you know, we, we, we do the Tennessee Educator Survey every year. There's a lot we can learn from the survey data. So listeners fill out, uh, you know, that survey when it shows up in your inbox. <laughs> this um, is actually, we actually mostly use the podcast to promote the <laughs> survey. I think every I mean, episode other, we, we make other a point. Episodes of but the we, use this, we use the survey for <laughs> we so much. We use the survey so much. We use much. it for so much. It's I so mean, true. people, uh, yeah. people uh, really need to understand the degree uh, of analysis that the, the, the survey data get. So, um, but I think also there's just a lot that you can't get from it administrative and survey data. And so I right. think a lot of where we're headed and, you know, other people are doing this uh, right. uh, is really digging into what the experiences are of teachers of color and, and incorporating the voices of teachers of color into this conversation. That's in part how we generate new research questions, but also how, you know, we, you really put the meat on the bones of some of the things that we're able to look at quantitatively using the data sources that, that we use. Yeah. And so we're actually going to talk next to a couple of folks from the Tennessee Educators of Color Alliance. Thank you, Jason, so much for being here and for sharing with us what you've been finding. We look forward to hearing more from you in the future. Yeah, thanks so much. Thanks. So now we're going to have our segment we call On the Spot, where we talk to educators about the work that we've been doing um, and the research implications. So um, we're pleased today to be able to welcome two educators, Franklin Willis, a longtime music teacher from Andrew Jackson Elementary School and a member of the Tennessee Educators of Color Alliance, which we'll hear more about in a minute, and Laura Delgado. Laura is the program director for the Pioneer Scholars Program at Lipscomb University and also a board member of the Tennessee Educators of Color Alliance. Thank you both for joining us. It's great to have you here. So before we get started, we'll start with the question that we've been asking everyone um, who is on the podcast today. Um, and I'll start with you, Laura. Can you tell us about your first experience with a teacher of color? 
So in K through 12, which I did in all public schools in Texas, I only had one teacher. I had a black female teacher in fifth grade who, in retrospect, I realized was, I think, more comfortable treating me as part of like her own family um, than many of my other teachers were. But a sort of foundational experience for me is I had a black male professor at Vanderbilt sociology professor and I think that his class was probably I took every single class with him that I could and (laughs) he made us think about these deep critical questions he forced us to role play and um, be in panels and like I've never forgotten he took us out in front um, on one of the quads and blindfolded us and made us find each other with farm animal sounds. Oh, wow. And that was how he explained the concept of culture shock. And so everything we did with wow. him was, was experiential and it was deeply constructivist. And I think it was a model for myself and how you challenge students and that making things like fun and engaging doesn't necessarily mean that you're lowering the rigor. Franklin, can you tell us a little bit about your experience, your first experience with a teacher of color? Um, my first experience with a teacher of color was my fifth grade year in middle school. My parents um, had me in private school K through four, and then I revolted and said, I want to go to public school because all the neighborhood kids wanted to go, uh, wanted me to come to school with them. So my parents let me do it. And my fifth grade band teacher, Mr. Richardson, um, was my first introduction to a teacher of color, black male. And he mesmerized me by his style, by the way he talked, the way he walked, the way he dressed, just how he treated his students. And and for the first time, I saw somebody that looked like me doing something that I love. And so now you look forward 25, 26 years later, and now I'm teaching music. And uh, Mr. Richardson was one of the first ones to inspire me to get into education. And so... uh, that was my first experience with a teacher of color. So tell us a little bit, um, Franklin, about your experiences as a teacher here in Nashville and, and then also um, how you became uh, how you became involved with TECA. So if you could just explain really quickly what TECA is okay. and then talk about your experiences and how you got involved. Well, my experience here in Nashville has been quite interesting. Every school that I've been at previous to Andrew Jackson – There were other male teachers of color. There were um, women teachers of color. And I never saw it as an issue, right? And then I get to Andrew Jackson Elementary School, and it's out here in Hermitage, and I find out the first day of school that I'm the only black male on the staff. Um, Well, not the first day of school, but during the first, you know, professional development. And I, there's three other um, African-American female teachers. So it got me wondering, like, when was the last time they hired an African-American male teacher, not a custodian, not um, an assistant, but an actual person that's on the staff? And the research that I found was it's been about 20, 25 years since they've had someone. And to be quite frank with you, my eyes were open just because of the culture of the school. Many of the students had an experience having a black male teacher. Many of the parents have not had to interact with an African-American male in an education standpoint with their child. So it it was quite the burden um, when I first started. But as I continued and with talks from my mom and my wife, it became a blessing because I'm able to show them um, not the stereotype that they usually see, okay, or maybe not what they see on the news every day. But 
here's a black man who's educated, who can teach your child, who can inspire your child. And um, to be to be honest, I had some rough, rough, uh, a rough start just because of the previous teacher that was with that that worked in the position. She was a white female, and they liked things her way. And I brought my own style, my own swagger, my own uh, opinion. So, um, but three years later. My students are rocking. My choir is amazing. Um, the community has really got behind what I do. And I think it's also I had to show them um, what I could do and what I brought to the table. So that's where Tekka comes in. Um, February, they had their first conference, um, leadership conference. And I went uh, with some of my colleagues here, the other three black African-American uh, female teachers. And we went because sometimes we feel that a lot of the behavior issues that we face are not because um, students are bad, but because teachers can't connect with them. Because a student can come to my class and be amazing and then go to another teacher's class and be destructive and uh, just fall apart. And we wanted to bring back resources to the school and training that we could share and say, hey, these are some things that you can do. So at that conference, I met uh, Darice, I met... Um, several of the board members and I just, my life was, it's just the light was flashing and it was like, Oh my God, this is what I go through on a daily basis when it comes to, um, hiring practices, interviewing, being a, uh, African American man of color. So we had those conversations and I was able to connect with other people that looked like me and who were doing the work that I do and also leaders, um, who are doing the work. And it showed me that I can have an impact in the classroom and what I do matters and that I'm being an example for some of the students who look like me when I was a child. So um, I have a new mindset now, and I understand that the work that I do is more than me, and it's about feeding the minds of not only the African-American and Hispanic children, but also the white children that come into my classroom to see Wow, okay, Mr. Willis is African-American male. He can read, he can teach, he can lead, and he can inspire. I want to be like him. And so it's changed my mindset, and it's allowed me to be more open um, when it comes to diversity and, and not just using it as a buzzword, but actually using it and meaning it and putting meaning behind it. So I hope I answered your question. Yeah, I feel like I, I kind of <laughs> <you, you laughs> went around. I feel like hearing you talk about it being bigger than you, too, especially, kind of is mm-hmm. helpful to hear that description. Um, and I'm curious, uh, mm-hmm. from Laura, um, I know you're on the board at Tekka, and I, um, I would love for you to just describe a little bit more for you what that means and also talk a little bit about the research that Jason has done around um, teachers of color and retention rates of teachers of color and um, wh- what you feel like that, that tells us and what it doesn't tell us. For sure. So um, I am a founding board member of Tekka. Um, I met Diaries, um, Dr. Diaries George, who's Dr. Diaries George, who's the founder. Right. Um, Diaries is also a black man, and of the years that he was in teaching, I think ninety percent of those years he was the only black male in the building. Mm. And he participated mm. in three Ed Leadership Fellowships all in one year because. He's a little crazy, right? Super inspired. and Because he also has a full-time job on top of... Full-time job on top of three right. children. Um, and founding a, an organization. Founding an organization, yeah. right? And, um, and every space that he walked into, those numbers stayed the same. He was almost always the black 
um, only black male in the room. And he thought that there was something wrong about that, that at the highest tables in our state where people are making ed policy decisions, that there were no members of the communities who represent the marginalized populations that we're trying to serve. Um, and so he decided that we need an organization that brings people together. And so he launched TECA in 2017. And the goal is to support teachers of color and their allies in the state through leadership, mentorship, and fellowship. Um, and so... We, we had you all engaged. I mean, Jason was talking about this a little bit, but yeah. it's really important for Tara and the Department of Education as we think about the research to actually engage with educators people and of people of color and people who are actually impacted by the research we did. So you all had seen the work that Jason just talked about before. Tell us a little bit about your reaction to it and then how that sort of propelled tech up. What, what types of things that propelled you all to do? For sure. So I think none of us were surprised by the data. Um, I think it mirrors experiences that... Um, all of us have had. I think when you learn the research around critical mask in a school, it instantly has an aha moment as a person of color when you think about the fact um, in the College of Education at Lipscomb, I was the only Latino employee until about two months ago. And it was so incredibly exciting mm. to me when we hired a second person um, because it's someone else who understands it and who I can talk about food and speak in Spanish with. And so... These are things that as we were seeing it, I think all the people called in the room, everyone was going, this is data that like literally spells out my experience, but in larger form. And it makes it clear that I wasn't a blip on the radar and that all of us feel the same way. I think what for us, what I felt like that research sort of crystallized is the fact that when we talk about teachers of color and we talk about teacher diversity, we cannot ignore the role that principals play. And I think up until this point, when we talk about teacher diversity, I think has kind of been a hot topic for a few years, but people have really been talking about the recruitment intention of teachers of color, and they haven't been thinking about the roles that principals play. And so it's been making us think a lot about the fact that we go and tell principals, hire teachers of color, and they're like, okay, how do I do that? And right. so it makes us think a lot about the fact that if, if we want this result, we kind of have to track backward and think about the systems in place. And so that means we need to be thinking about the way we train principals. Um, we need to be thinking about the way that we support them in their hiring and coach them through what it means to hire a diverse workforce. And then we have to support them as they deal with the ramifications of supporting a more diverse mm-hmm. workforce. And and teach them that part of being a leader is feeling comfortable having safe but courageous conversations about race in your school and that it's not something that you can ignore. And I think currently many principals agree that teacher diversity is important and they even feel like it's something that they're held accountable for on the team rubric, but they don't think that they have a lot of support. And so they get really excited when they see other people doing the work, but that's what we see reflected in the reports of teachers of color is that even if they go to their principal and their principal is very supportive, their principal often isn't prepared to lead those difficult conversations. Even if they might want to. Exactly. And they're not prepared to address the many subtle ways that race might impact the way that teachers engage with each other inside buildings. And so that's what we heard most often is that um, when teachers struggled, if they went to a principal, particularly a white principal, the white principal didn't always know what to do. Mm. Um, So we did research this summer and we did focus groups in Memphis, Chattanooga, Nashville, and Knoxville. And consistently what we heard is that teachers of color flocked towards principals of color and they felt better supported and better understood with a principal who understood the ways that their race impacts Um, The way they enter a classroom, the way that students perceive them and the way that families and community members perceive them and understand that their identity is inherently a strength and a value to be tapped into. Franklin, I'd love to just hear you talk a little bit more about all of what Laura said and how that resonates with your own personal experience. Well, when she said that last little section, it was me to a T, 
right <laughs> when I when I got here. I'm excited, and to be honest with you, the it wasn't on my radar of being the only black male, like I because mm-hmm. that hadn't happened in the past. All the other schools I've been at, there's been somebody else, you know, that I could relate to. We kind of, you know, get get each other, the unspoken things, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when my when the second or third week came around, my principal came to me and she said, you know, how's everything going? And I just told her straight up, I said, when's the last time y'all hired a black man? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it just it caught her off guard. Right. And <laughs> I don't need – and she, she was just like, well, Franklin – I don't know the last time we had a I don't know. Um and and so that just kind of led me down the 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 rabbit hole I guess of just trying to grasp that and I've never experienced it so um yeah. um for me it, it's it's being vocal about it and 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 it's a scary place to be to be quite honest because nobody wants to talk about race. Right. And nobody wants to call a thing a thing. And if you bring that up to the forefront, you're race baiting or you're trying to get, you know, confusion started. So um, Tekka has empowered me to believe in and to stand in what I what I agree with. So, Laura, you've hit on a little bit around what changes you'd like to see and you think need to happen in order to increase um, the profile of teachers of and administrators of color in Tennessee. But I'm curious whether you think there are specific things that the state or that district administrators and officials should also be doing um, to increase our racial and ethnic diversity of our educator workforce. For sure. I think there are four key things for me. Um, The first is, right, we talk about the fact that 37% of Tennessee public school students are racially and ethnically diverse. That is our future pool of educators that we should be recruiting from, right? We need to create grow-your-own pipelines because students that grew up in Metro Nashville high schools are not going to be scared and intimidated by those conditions. And so you think about that, like, we, we have pools of students who are interested and we're not doing enough to connect their experience from high school into an education preparation program and then back into the classroom. And so I think the more that we can make those very concrete connections and make that pathway easier, knowing that in particular Metro Nashville, most of the students we're talking about are low-income first-generation students of color. We know that the systems were not designed for them. We need to be more thoughtful about creating those on-ramps so that we aren't losing people along the way. Um, The second thing I think that makes clear, and it's something that is really a priority for Tekka, is that we need better teacher support and we need spaces where teachers can talk about important issues of race and identity. We need affinity spaces. We don't think that it makes sense for teachers to have to create those spaces on their own. We think that it's something that districts should be charged with and that they should be very thoughtful about. Um, we are happy to create those spaces, and we it's certainly on our plan. Um, we'll be hosting regional ha- me- um, networking happy hours on a regular basis starting later this year. But we think it's really critical that that be something that is considered an important and a critical part of professional development because we'll hear districts say, oh, we have affinity groups, but there isn't a clear vision for what they are and they aren't conducted regularly. And it's a critical space that teachers of color, this is the number one request they had. Is sure. I need. If you can't get it in your building, I mean, right. which obviously we want to get to that point, but right now we're not there, then there right. needs to be somewhere to get that kind of support that Franklin was talking about. Right, exactly. I need a connection and I need a space where I can be honest and real. 
Um, the third, I think, is if we're going to be talking about teacher diversity, we have to collect better data on teachers. You will be happy to know that we made a plug for this earlier in the podcast. Yay. <laughs> it's like my pet talking point now when I hear other people getting on the crusade about MENA students. It makes me really excited. Say what MENA means. So MENA is Middle Eastern North African. Because there is no... Um, box for that on the federal census, it means that we don't capture that data. And that's particularly important in Nashville, where we have the largest Kurdish population in the world outside of Kurdistan. And so I have Kurdish and Egyptian students who are technically counted as white, who are native Kurdish and Arabic speakers. I have hijabi Muslim women who will return to teach in the classroom and they're being counted as white. And so I want us to challenge us to think if we want to better capture and talk about who our teachers are, that means we have to start by actually tracking who they are and thinking about what components of their identity are important to students. Are we tracking languages spoken? Um, I think that's another really critical way to be thinking about better matching our student population in a place as diverse as Nashville. The final thing that I think we have to think about is principal support. I think it starts in principal training, but I think it's ongoing that too often we talk about, right, diversity is not just one PD. It's ongoing coaching to make a difference and to support principals as they encounter conversations and interactions with teachers that they hadn't anticipated before. And so I think if it's going to be a priority, it needs to be a regular component of principal training and principal coaching um, and more than just a checkbox on the team evaluation. And so if districts are going to charge principals with hiring a more racially diverse teacher population, they need to support them in that. Those were, I think, four very clear, very obvious things that the state and districts could be talking about. And now we're going to bring on Sylvia Flowers from the Tennessee Department of Education um, to hear a little bit more about how the state is thinking about its role in increasing educator um, diversity. But Laura, thank you so much for being here today. And um, thank you so much for all the work that you do for students and teachers across Tennessee. Mil gracias. to talk with Sylvia Flowers, who's the Executive Director of Educator Talent at the Tennessee Department of Education, about what the state is thinking about in terms of attracting and retaining teachers of color. Um, thank you for joining us, Sylvia. And um, we've started off with our other interviewees today asking them when in their education experience they first encountered an teacher of color. Well, that is an interesting question. I will say... Um... The first neighborhood that we lived in was a redlined area of Chicago, and so we purchased our first home after suing the neighborhood to to buy into that community. So, oh, I bet bet that made it interesting. (laughs) Yes. Um, So my elementary school was actually very diverse. My neighborhood wasn't, but our community school was very diverse. And I don't remember having a black teacher, but the principal was black. And the assistant principal was black, but most of the teachers were white. I think when we moved to St. Louis, I had a black teacher in seventh grade. Okay. Which was another traumatic experience. But (laughs) But a separately traumatic experience. Moving to St. Louis. (laughs) Interesting that you would have a school. I mean, after we've had a bunch of conversation actually about principals of color and teachers of color, interesting that you would have a school where you didn't feel like that was happening as much. There's probably a lot more to unpack there. But let's start by talking a little bit about what the state is working on when it comes to educator diversity, um, and then we'll get back into some other issues as well. Great. So I think a lot of our conversations about this work started when we were writing our ESSA plan and developing our equity plan, so back in 2015, 2016 timeframe. 
we released our preparation through partnership report that was focused on the teacher pipeline. And one of the areas of focus was around teacher diversity. So that sort of started the conversation. And that led us to um, launch some innovation grants, both for educator preparation programs, as well as for districts. And so I think that was kind of our first um, public effort to talk about teacher diversity in my time at the department. What are some of the things that are happening through those innovation grants? So of the uh, innovation grants that were for EPPs, we awarded one to... uh, An EPP is Educator Preparation Provider. provider. So teacher Um, training colleges. Yes. We awarded one to UT Martin which was approved for the Call Me Mr. program, and they wanted to expand their efforts and really reach uh, reach men. back into middle and high schools okay. to find candidates who would be eligible for the Call Me Mr. program. Mm-hmm. So they had been approved for the program. I spoke with the director, and he said, my biggest challenge is finding young men who want to go into the profession and also have a 21 on the ACT, hmm. which was their requirement. Right. So they realized they needed to do more to reach even further back, starting hmm. with middle and high school students of color who could then potentially be prepared to then go into this program. So that um, grant is used for that work with UT Martin. And then on the district side, we did two rounds of grants. One was a planning grant and one was an implementation grant. And I think um, to some of your earlier um, guests' um, points, people are very interested in this topic. They want to do something and they don't know what to do. Yeah. Um, so we had, I think, a good amount of interest for uh, this new idea. We ended up awarding uh, a few planning grants, really, and they spent three months just figuring out what was going on. So I was always concerned, like, what do they need the money for? What what do they need to do? But they spent money on, like, bringing groups of teachers together to understand what is the culture and the climate of our district, our school? Why do you work here? Why do you continue to work here? What are some of the things that we can do? Um, They also talked with students, students of color and um, students from the dominant group. Um, They also spent time just digging through their HR data. Part of um, what many of our districts don't have time to do is understand their staffing. Mm -hmm. Who are our educational assistants or paraprofessionals who actually have a bachelor's degree already but may not have uh, a route to certification? Right. Um, And they found that, wow, we have a number of people in our own district who have degrees but have never pursued certification. So part of the planning round was just investigating what's happening in other uh, states and then really finding out what their own teachers think, believe, feel about the district and finding ways to um, come up with their strategies. So, Sylvia, we talked a little bit about um, education, educator preparation programs. As you think about preparation and pipelines, what are the things you're thinking about? Obviously, we need more new opportunities to enter the profession, whether those are residency models, uh, pathways for people who are career changers to enter the profession. One thing we know is that uh, many of the folks we uh, interview and talk to about teaching thought, I was never going to be a teacher. 
I did not start out wanting to be a teacher. So we know that the desire to serve and the desire to impact their communities or have an impact is real. And we know it's real for young people today. So uh, the other thing I was thinking is around uh, expanding our pathway options or making it more appealing to young people, um, clearing up the myths about what you can make as a teacher, as well as the impact you can have on your community and on those who come behind you. Sylvia, you um, you saw Jason's research early, early on, as we do with the Department of Education. When we do research at Terra, we share it with you all to try and get some of the context and figure out sort of what more we should question, what's next. What, what have been your thoughts about the implications for you all um, of the, the data, what we know about sort of... Uh, retention and why teachers do or don't move around? One of the things that was really surprising, and I think that's what led to our diversity memo that we um, put out last month, um, is when we started talking about these innovation grants, many districts didn't actually know the demographics of their teaching staff. So one, we think it's important to have good quality staff data. That is the third time we're <laughs> plugging staff data. Schools and districts. And we, <laughs> we have come a long way over the last six years, I think, uh, in aligning our data systems and having information that we can now publish with some degree of confidence. So that's one thing that we've done. Um, I think the other, and that's, I think, part of the way Tennessee does things yeah. is we do lead with data first. Yeah. Let's put a spotlight on the issue and then think about what we can do to address the issue. So, um, and and it's interesting from our data, we see that while we only have 13% teachers of color, we have 20% administrators of color. Mm. So when you talk about principal, the impact on principals and what can we do to support principals? And I heard this from other states uh, just this week. They also found that they have more administrators of color than they do teachers of color. So interesting. Um, and so how do we support both the principals and the, the teachers? Um, we are trying to figure out how we can invest in more culturally responsive practices for all teachers and administrators, mm -hmm. because we may not ever get to complete parity. Right. I mean, maybe not in the near five years, but if we don't get to parity, we still have to equip those who are in service right now, both the teachers and the leaders. So you, you, you've you hit actually most of the things that Laurel Delgado just said she would like to see. Um, grow your own, um, thinking about culturally responsive training, um, also, another thing that came up um, was student teaching. Is there anything that you, you know people are doing in the student teaching variety? Well, I think when we think about what the state can do, um, what are the policy levers that we can influence? I think certainly our policies around preparation, both leader prep and educator prep, uh, thinking really critically about what those clinical experiences should look like. Um, they should include multiple settings for uh, pre-service teachers to include to experience, and their clinical mentors should be a diverse pool of clinical mentors. So Not that necessarily they can that get... everyone needs to be paired, but right. that at the very least you're starting out with a diverse group so that you have the chance of actually having some exactly, yeah. exactly. And then of course we have all of our in-service folks as well. Right. 
When you talk about lovers, um, when Sylvia mentioned the ACT issue that they were experiencing as they were trying to expand recruitment, it does also make me think about some work that we've done looking at barriers to entry into the profession and making Mm -hmm. sure that we don't have um, specific licensure pieces that might actually um, unintentionally – disclude um, teachers of color from entering into the profession. I think that that's something that's also really important that a, that the state can can do. And when we've looked at raising certain kind of cut scores on entry exams, we look at how that disproportionately affects um, t- teachers, students, I guess, teacher candidates of color compared to non. Absolutely. And as we were thinking about it over this past week, we thought, well, are there some funding opportunities as well, whether it's through innovation grants or Could we be targeting high-needs areas and providing some of that either funding support for praxis exams or preparation support for praxis praxis exams, whether that's some uh, study, study time, study skills, things of that nature? Sylvia, thank you for the work that you have done to date. Thank you for being here fresh off of a flight. Um, And thank you um, in advance for what you will do going forward. Thanks, Sylvia. Thank you. So as we wrap up this edition of the 10th period, what are the big things you're thinking about? I'm thinking about um, affinity groups and culturally responsive practices and how we give our leaders um, training on that, starting in preparation. Those were some of the ideas that were mentioned um, about how to have those kinds of honest conversations. And I'm also thinking about how we can encourage people to, um, you have to start somewhere if if you're an all-white school or an all-white staff, but how can you think about um, making sure that if you do have somebody who's isolated, you know, from other, from being the sole, um, you know, teacher of color in that building, how you make sure and provide them support. What about you? Yeah, I, I have um, been very impressed with what the Tennessee Educators of Color Alliance is doing in this sort of affinity group space. And I was really pleased to hear um, Sylvia talk about some of the grants that have done that same thing. So I was actually thinking about something similar, which is just it's, you know, it's important. We all have our groups that we identify with. um, And I think, you know, especially if you feel isolated in any sort of situation, having a way to talk about that seems really important. I'm also struck by the idea of uh, grow your own. um, And, uh, and the, the fact that there are probably students now who are considering becoming teachers, and the way in which actually seeing a teacher, as Franklin talked about, who looks like you, who you identify with is so much more likely to have you end up in the teaching profession and sort of how important it is to encourage students who are considering the teaching profession to continue to do that. I hope when we look back at our data five years from now, we really will see changes. For those that are of our listeners who are interested, the department has just an overview of the landscape of teacher diversity in Tennessee on the Research and Policy Briefs um, webpage. Um, and you can take a look at how it's basically no change over the last yeah, five years. Right. But hopefully we will see b- bigger changes coming. Man, if that happened, I think we could consider this entire endeavor <laughs> to be a success and particularly this podcast, um, because also people will be giving us the data that we need to make sure that we know that's true. So um, thanks again for joining us for another episode of the 10th period. Uh, We will have um, coming out from Tara a brief about 
educator diversity. Um, we know that the department, again, has reports online that you can check out to tell you about diversity in your district. Um, and much more to come, I think, from us on this subject. This is something that we at Terra know that we're going to stick with because we feel like it's really important and, um, and the research has added a lot to the conversation. Um, so looking forward to more. Laura, always fun to do this with you. Looking forward to the next one. Thanks, Aaron. This concludes the seventh episode of The Tenth Period. Thank you.